Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so glad I have a chance to talk to a man who is so knowledgeable about pet insurance. He practically wrote the book. You all know I am such a crazy fan and cheerleader for pet insurance, and most of you are sitting on your hands and thinking, eh, it won't happen to me. I am so glad I got to meet Dr. Peter Beaumont. He has for 16 years been on the board of Chupanion, one of the most successful pet insurance companies, and I met him through my new-to-be uh, co-host on the Pet Cancer Vet. Renee Seraph, and she said, you know, I know somebody really wonderful. And I said, I want to know more about pet insurance. Peter, thank you for taking the time to be here and also for your early adoption of the idea of pet insurance and wanting to be part of the industry. What was that moment? You, you're, you were trained in the University of Edinburgh, right? Yes. Um, I got my veterinary degree in, in Scotland at the University of Edinburgh, and then I got a scholarship to Penn, and I did my soft tissue surgery residency and internship at Penn. Uh, but, Tracy, ju just let me correct a couple of things that you said earlier, or at least amend them. Um, I certainly would not uh, categorize myself as a leader in pet insurance. Uh, no way. Um, but I, I did become involved early on, in the Trupanion story, um, basically not because of my particular expertise in that arena, but because I recognized that what Daryl Rawlings was doing in the pet insurance field, and we can go back to how long pet insurance has yes. been available and all of that sort of stuff, which I think is germane to what you want to talk about. Um, but but essentially, uh, I was lucky enough to recognize that Daryl was just an extraordinary individual and uh, had uh, so many correct ideas about where pet insurance should go to in 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 our field. And and the second uh, minor correction is I was on the board of Trepanion for about six years, ending in uh, one year after the company um, was uh, was uh, uh, posted on Nasdaq. And so uh, that was about 2016 or thereabouts when I came off the board. Uh, but subsequently, I run two panels inside the company. One is called the Veterinary Advisory Board, and the other one is called the 
panel of independent third-party veterinarians, which I can talk to if and if and when you wish. Um, but but essentially, what happened at the outset was uh, I was a practicing veterinarian for many many years, and in the early 1980s, there was a company that was uh, the first company out there to um, provide insurance for pets. And um, I quickly got on board with that in the early 1980s, um, so much so that we had actually developed, which was early for that point in time, we put a TV up in the reception area of the veterinary hospital, and we had a number of promotional videos, one being from this pet insurance company. No kidding. Other ones being from uh, heartworm preventative right. manufacturers, and we had spliced that. I employed a videographer to come into the veterinary hospital and take uh, sort of five-minute videos of, oh, this is the treatment room, and this is the boarding area, right. and this is the surgery. Um, and those were all spliced into these um, promotional videos, which we ran in the reception area. And I think the the whole loop was about an hour and a half because we figured that no one would sit there for that. <laughs> I hope not. Hopefully, I hope you weren't keeping would them not waiting sit that there long. For more than that like the time. And um, and so, um, however, our experience at the veterinary hospital in the in the eighties was so bad with the particular product that was available at that time that within about six months, I had pulled that video from the reception area TV. Uh, to illustrate what was going on at the time. And so that was probably, I don't know, 1983 or something like that. So it took then 20 years uh, before there was any interest on myself and my, my part of uh, pet insurance. So there was, you know, there was a That's long hiatus. That's really interesting from the, from the vet provider side because I was going to jump to the question, but you kind of answered it. Why do more vets not heavily encourage, beg, plead, advise their patients to get pet insurance? And I think your experience as a vet provider was like mine as an owner or end user, if you will, because I had pet insurance. I had pet insurance, I want to think I had it in the 70s in California. And I would get the pet insurance, and after they said no to the first four or five claims, which were perfectly legitimate, straightforward, not high dollar amount claims, I was like, okay, this is mostly a business of no. That's not covered. This is excluded. Forget it. That's too much. Uh, or right. the, the vet charged too much, or this thing should have cost less, then I would cancel it, then I'd get it again. I was this most ambivalent uh, sort of uh, customer sure. until I learned about Trupanion and Embrace and Healthy Paws. There were several that came out at the same time that just had a different attitude, which is we actually want to give you coverage. We don't want you to be fraudulent. We don't want you to make pretend there wasn't a problem when there was and then get pet insurance because I understand there was a good amount of that. Unfortunately, insurance fraud seems to run in people's blood. They're like, well, I paid the insurance. Now I'm going to get them to cover everything, including my grocery bill. But I think that what's interesting to me is that you stayed out of it until you saw a better mousetrap, if you will. And I remember That's talking funny. to Daryl Rawlings very early days, must have spent an hour on the phone with him, and I thought, this man really cares. He's not in it to 
he's in it to make money. Now I didn't know it was even a public company, but he's in it to give people what they need, which is a safety net for the big stuff, right? I mean, isn't that really what it boils down to? So I think that uh, uh, the better mousetrap idea is exactly right, first of all. So just to tell you about the early experience of veterinarians, and I don't think I'm, you know, a minority in this respect, um, and, and, and this in part explains why, to your other question, well, how come veterinarians still are having a struggle getting behind this type yes. of model? Um, and, and that is because the early experience of it was so very bad. So the, the early experience was, and I'll, I'll tell you something sort of illustratively, which is kind of made up, obviously, but let's suppose that I had done a splenectomy on a dog and the bill was $1,000. Right. Uh, the insurance company at the time said, oh, wait, wait a minute, this is worth $115.16. Yes. yes. And that's what they paid to the insured person. And there were two takeaways from that. The first was that I was overcharging yeah, dramatically, right, right. right <laughs> for something that they had established was worth whatever. So the first, the first two things that Daryl did that were, I think, Im- immensely impressive, um, and by the way, just to correct you a little bit, Embrace and Healthy Paws came way after Trupanion. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Trupanion was in Canada uh, before it came to the States as, as a company called Vet Insurance and was profitable in Canada and just really came to a larger market than in about 2004 or thereabouts. But um, I think that uh, what Daryl said, which was uh, to the two really triggers that caused me to get interested in back in 2005, and I think I told you that I was an early investor in the company, which indeed I was. Um, in 2005, uh, I listened to a very brief presentation by Daryl at which he was espousing to pay back to insured owners a fixed percentage, at that time 90%, of the veterinary fee. So instead of having a set uh, preconditioned amount, which frankly didn't make any sense because obviously the cost of veterinary medicine in Manhattan are completely different than the cost of veterinary medicine in Idaho. For sure. And, and, the, and the cost for a Frenchie would be way different than the domestic short hair in those markets also. Right. So the, the model that they had before just didn't make any sense whatsoever. And so Daryl then came along and said, well, we'll pay a set fee, a, a set percentage of the veterinary bill, which made total sense to me. That was and his invention? That idea was completely his? I would say that was That's completely wild. his, yeah. Because now it's and that, standard. Obviously, that was, that was disparate from human medicine right. at the time That's also, right? right? Mm-hmm. And and the second was that, and we will have a different charge per month for a domestic short hair that lives in Texas versus, you know, a greyhound that lives in Maine. Yes. Uh, because that's going to depend upon the the frequency of disease in that in that pet number one, and the fees in the area where that owner lives, and so that all made such total sense to me that I got on board uh, early on. But I, uh, you know, I would demur insofar as being, you know, very far-sighted on that, I just thought that this was the right way to go. Well, so your your site wasn't, you know, it was certainly 2020, it wasn't 22,000 or whatever it would be if you had bionic <laughs> site. I mean, he had bionic site. I will say that I don't intend this conversation to be 
um, a promotion of Trupanion, but how can it not be? I happen to be covered by Healthy Paws because that's what I got at the time, and my girls are now quite a bit older. They're senior dogs. You can't yes. switch boats in the middle of the stream. Right. But my social media and brand manager is so in love with Trupanion because he went a step further, and yep. now he pays Trupanion pays the vets directly, which is a whole nother idea because I think one of the things that was confusing to people and remains that way is hard for someone like me who's such a cheerleader to say, yeah, you pay the bill and then you submit the bill to your pet insurance company. And then within now quite a short amount of time, it used to be a month or something, they'll pay you back. And a lot of people felt nervous about that. But what if they don't pay me back? Maybe because they'd had these other bad experiences of of a big fat no or, you know, an X across everything. Sure. But the idea now that Trupanion at the 90% amount pays the vet, you don't have to pay your whole bill. You only pay your percentage. That must have taken some very complicated software to work out, I would guess. Yeah, so that was um, that was a really good development. Um, and again, it was, you know, instituted by Dow's vision. Um, and there was a, a veterinarian who came into the company whose name was Kerry Marshall, Dr. Kerry Marshall, and she architected or helped architect the, that software, uh, which is, is patented, obviously. So we are the only company that oh, does. Oh, it's not um, obvious that it's patented. It's so, um, okay, so no one the knows these company, things. So we're it's the only company that, that does veterinary, uh, veterinary direct pay. Wow. Um, and, and, of course, it's very nice for, uh, for an owner to come into a veterinary practice and have a $10,000 bill and the the receptionist says, "Oh, Mrs. Smith, you have a ten thousand dollar bill, but Trupanion's already put nine thousand into our into <laughs> yeah. our account, uh, and therefore your bill is a thousand. So uh, you know whatever. But but that obviously works very very well and is a, a big differentiator. Now the idea of paying a fixed percentage of the veterinary fee then was embraced by pardon the pun here, but was embraced <laughs> was embraced and replicated." by these other companies right. that came along shortly thereafter, including the one I just mentioned and also Healthy Paws. So those, those guys, um, certainly I think I'm correct in saying that they followed the, uh, the way that the industry was leading in that respect. And, and, and uh, I know one, one of the other things, I don't know whether you want to insert anything here, Tracy, but the, one of the other things you wanted to talk about is, well, why do... Why is the penetration rate so low in, yes. the, in the U.S.? I do want to ask that because that's why I asked about your training in, in, in Edinburgh where my wonderful vet in, in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons, Barry, is trained there as well. And it's just wonderful to have another perspective. He's American, but he yeah. happens to have trained there. It's great to have another perspective. And I know in Europe generally, I'm not sure about the U.K., but there's parts of Europe, and I don't know if it's just Sweden and Norway and some of those northern countries where, I don't know, 75% of people or something along those lines have pet insurance. It, it's And it's strange because they've paid for it, whereas their own insurance is part of their taxes, so they don't have to pay their own medical insurance, but they step out of their out of that box to pay it for their pets. I just... We don't have a lot of time left, but I just wish that I knew, because I have been unsuccessful in my view, 
I wish I had a list of all the people. Only my personal friends have I browbeaten into getting pet insurance. <laughs> but, I, but I don't know how many of you listeners have done it. And you hear about these stories of especially cancer treatment, but lots of other things. Lots of other things, not the least of which is ACL repairs, which is a, has a waiting period. What do we do to say to people, you, you can't nowadays honestly afford to have a dog, little less so a cat, if you intend to get them high-level medical care without pet insurance, if you don't intend to, if you don't intend to take them to the vet regularly or treat their cancer or their broken leg or their collapsed lung or their ingestion of somebody's underwear, if they have a lab, if you don't intend to treat it, then I guess you don't need pet insurance, but that's absurd. Of course, they want to treat it. So what is, the, what is, what is your one-minute pitch on please get pet insurance? A good one, that not not one that has a lot of nose in the in the fine print. Yeah, so I I mean, it, it, as you say, it's, it's very counterintuitive that in in the UK, for example, it's about thirty percent of dogs and cats are insured, and and of course in the UK also, people have uh, national health insurance, yes. so they don't pay their own medical insurance, but they do pay their dogs and dogs and cats. In the States, it's, it's counterintuitive because we would expect, since we pay our own medical insurance, we'd also pay yes. medical insurance for our dogs and cats, which we do not. My own theory about this, and it's not just my own, is that it, 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 it relates to two things. First of all, the poor quality of the product that was offered originally. Okay. Second of all, the fact that um, in Europe, there is very little disposable income compared to veterinary fees. And so um, not that veterinary fees are high in Europe, uh, but that the disposable income component is affecting the fact that you really need insurance if you want to have this dog or this cat. In the States, uh, most people can, can um, have more disposable income if they have pets, and therefore they're prepared to take the risk, I think, of having their pet uninsured in the knowledge that they have enough in their checking account to cover the bill. Now, as veterinary medicine and medicine in general has gotten more expensive, that dynamic is clearly going to change such that veterinary fees are going to be outside of the position of, well, I have enough liquidity to just take care of that, and therefore insurances are going to become much more and more valuable. And, you know, for example, the, the, I think I'm correct in saying that the largest we've ever, ever paid for one single accident in a pet was in, in excess of $60,000 oh for God. a cat for a cat that fell out of a high-rise in Manhattan and landed on a, a pointy railing. And so, oh, wow. and, and that cat survived uh, after many, many thousands of dollars which we paid. So, yes, it certainly depends upon whether you are planning on treating for a serious illness or not. And most people, I think, still take the view that, well, we'll just take the gamble on this. And there's this false... Uh, I think false equation that sometimes veterinarians offer up, that which is, well, why don't you just put $200 or whatever it is into a savings account every month, and then when something bad happens, you've got it there to pay for. But the fact is that depending on what happens, if it's some sort of uh, need for chemotherapy over many years, then you're just not going to have enough money to pay right. exactly. for out of that savings account. Yeah. And I get to say the last word just because we've run out of time. But sure. the last word is that people... 
don't accept risk. Americans think everything's going to be just fine. And I don't think they put away the $200. And I don't think they have enough in their savings account. I think a lot of people live almost paycheck to paycheck, but they have a French bulldog and it needs a lot of medical (laughs) care. So the only thing I can say to people is $200 a month, A, you're not going to do it. You'll go in there and take it out when it's time for the kid to have a great, you know, your human kid to have a great gift. Or it'll never add up to enough because of the bad thing that will happen, because bad things happen. And, of course. And the peace of mind you get by spending 50 or 70 or or $100 a month per dog, which as they get older is sort of what it comes out to, be, be, it's like car insurance. Be grateful you're paying for it and don't need to make a claim. That's a good day. Yeah, so, see, Peter Beaumont, people... thank you for being here, but we have totally run out of time. I just I don't know how to tell people enough. Pet insurance is good. There's a, quite a few good companies. Pick a good company and get it, and get it at any point in your dog or cat's life. Any point. Even get it for an eight-year-old if you have waited this long or if you've got a rescue dog who's really old. Peter Beaumont, thanks for being here. Thanks for believing in Trupanion and in high-quality pet insurance my, for a very pleasure, long Tracy. time. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.